welcome to Built on Hope. We're your hosts, Jessica and David. And we've taken over the podcast today. We've got a Harlow Regional recap for you today. We've kicked Isaac out. No, it's just kidding. He couldn't make it. So it's just us, and we have on some guests Tom Parrish, who is our newest member of the Built on Hope crew, and Alistair Scott, who we all know and love. They're going to talk about their experiences at the most recent regional. But first, some news. Message from Trevor Payton. Vassal, the newest version, is 12.3.1. Updates the IACP cards to the new format. And please make sure that everyone is using the newest format. If you and your opponent are using different versions, you might not be able to see all of the cards. IACP Official Changes Version 3.0 is live. Season 3, the comment period has ended, and all of the cards that have been revealed are going into the testing league now. Or, into the testing period. So Season 3 Testing League has begun, and we'll see how that shakes out. Also, the IA Builder version 1.0.3 is live, and you can download the app, I'll leave a link in the show description. And if you have any other news that you'd like us to talk about, uh, you can contact us at builtonhopeia at gmail.com, or you can find us in the Built on Hope channel of the Zion's Finest Slack. You can let us know about any upcoming news, any events. If you have any recommendations for any podcasts that you might want us to do, let us know. Okay, so we have a couple of really good interviews for you guys coming up, but before we started that, I just wanted to give a quick breakdown of all the lists and attendees at the Harlow Regional. We had a total of eight players, and we had quite a lot of scum lists. So we had a seven-act IG from Alistair, Tom was playing a Vader list, Dan was playing IG with Ugnots. Luke was playing double Weequace, Jessica's playing Vader Jets Riots, Ian was playing double Weequace as well, and Pete was also playing a 7-act IG list. And I was also playing IG that day uh, with Elite Rangers. So today we're joined by two special guests. Alistair was the winner of our Harlow Regional and Tom Parrish, very close second place. Alistair, how are you today? Very good. I haven't had a special guest in ages. I've been a very normal guest. <laughs> what a treat. And Tom, how are you today? Yeah, good, thank you. Not too bad. Great. David, how are you? I am excellent, but all our guests are always special. Always. <laughs> so I'm ironically making none of them special. <laughs> which, is, which is, you know, a great segue because this is the first non-special list I've done in a long time. And I actually did way better with it. There were some secrets to it that I look forward to talking to you about, but I've been spending a lot of time sort of enjoying the specialist lists I could possibly come up with and got a few wooden spoons to speak for it. So this was a time when I decided to be a little less special and it worked out really well. Yeah. So Alistair actually won this regional. Why don't Ooh. you go ahead and tell us about your list? Everybody should know who's listened to me before. I'm a very deeply religious and spiritual person. So I don't actually like to you know, plan too much in advance. I like to put things in the face of the gods. So I was planning some pretty cool ideas in the lead up to the tournament. And then in the car, I realized that I'm playing campaign with my partner and she loves Tress. 
and she loves Vinto, and she also is using uh, Mac. And all three were in pretty silly list ideas that if I'd run, I probably wouldn't have done nearly as well. So as soon as I realized I didn't actually have my tress and I didn't actually have Vinto for another idea I had, I had to come up with something kind of in the moment. So yeah, my list was was relatively quickly knocked together. And I have been playing a lot of Scum more recently. And when I said sort of silly lists, I've been playing a lot of uh, Jawa Swarms and Lion Ambush lists, trying to sort of make them work. And there's something to them, but I was finding that one thing universally was happening was that I was just running out of hitters. So I decided I wanted to try to put back in the the heat. And that meant Weakways, Iggy, and Onar, Guido, Novinto. And uh, yeah, so I sort of knocked together and then shook my opponent's hand and then started building my command deck while he set up his deployment zone. Classic Alistair. Absolutely. Your list was how many activations? Only seven. And also, it's the first time I've not used Sabine in Scum for a while, which about halfway through game two, I sort of realized, oh, right. Um, Because I was like, something about this feels very different. And it freed me up a few points. Uh, It was not a temporary alliance uh, list for a change. And yeah, I didn't miss her. Yeah, so you had the Jawa bringing in 3PO instead of a Temp Alliance, Sabine, Gideon, right? Exactly. And you you had the Elite Weakways instead of Sabine? Yes. Who had also sort of been off for a while. I mean, I know that I'm behind the curve here, but I really thought Weakways had come off the boil. Um, Or I was always choosing Sabine over Weakways. And that's possibly because I have, as I've said earlier, a lot of religious faith in the white die. I mean, if I'm rolling the white die, it's going to always dodge, right? So why have two black die when you can have, you know, white die, which will dodge every time. I wanted to try something a little bit different, which ended up paying off. But uh, I certainly now realize in conversation why weak ways are sort of have come full circle again and are going to be definitely a big presence at Worlds, I expect. Mm -hmm. So... I guess we can go ahead and talk about your first game of the day. Well, I'm a big fan of submarining usually. Usually I love a really good hard first match because it means you can get your loss out of the way early and sort of claw the way back up. But I was facing uh, David first match. Oh, yes, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I think he was the one who was cheering uh, when it said it was going to be Lothal Waste because that's what you know everybody loves to hear. And it was fluctuations. I think I've got a... My blitz story is very different. So it was a fluctuations start. So there's always been one, but this is the one they kind of call the no mission mission, where the, it's just the map, the mission doesn't matter. I think I did not have a choice about the initiative I got. So I ended up on the, I never know the colors. I was on what I call the left side, which is, God, how do you describe Lothal Waits in terms of deployment zone? So usually I go by the spire. So if you have the spire on the right side, are you top or bottom? The spires on your right, you would be on the top as far as I'm concerned. So I was coming up from the bottom, coming after David. We both had um, an Iggy and we both had a Java. And uh, another thing I was trying, which which almost came up today, but it didn't do very much, was to be very aggressively forward with my Java. I love being very aggressively forward with my Palpatine. So I really wanted to bully somebody at some point today. Oh, bold choice. I, I, there's certain lists that I think would be sort of thinking they'd be delivering the killing blow. But if they're close enough and Java is alive... And it got decked out. Just a sudden three damage at a reasonable range was something I thought I might be able to sucker punch somebody into, um, provided they were rebel or scum sort of drawing to the deck. Yeah, I've had a lot of bad luck in the middle of Lothal, so I tend to think there's the spire route and then there's the the long, long round the red tokens back way. So while David and I were sort of engaged at the top of the map uh, with the spire, I sent Iggy the far way around, and David sensibly got away from him. What that meant was in with an early blaze. 
I was able to run straight up to Java and with initiative round two, or the start of round two, I was able to take Java off the board, which is usually a subtle effect, but I've never seen it not really pay off. Would you, David, say that was the defining moment in our game, the sort of committing Iggy to not your big hitters, but committing it to Jabba? I'm not sure. You know, I, I actually don't think so, because I, I think I was happy to lose lose Jabba. I was running IG, Rangers, Onar, and Jabba. And out of all of those, he's probably the one that I would like to be defeated if I had a choice. Although I, I assume you don't think he's going to be the first one to go most games. Actually, I tend to put him in a place now that tries to get people to attack him. Because oh, okay. the alternative is is IG or something like that. And that's really not good. Right? So you're telling me I fell right into your dastardly trap. I mean, it, Iggy didn't didn't survive that foray into no. Jabba's lair. He self-destructed very quickly. Yeah, that, that worked out all right. But then you managed to wipe my rangers pretty quickly afterwards. I think the secret there was there was something, I think my weak ways ended up running a bit south and ended up being a slightly tempting target for your rangers. What do they say in D&D? Don't split the party. <laughs> Not always true in, in Imperial Assault, but I think in this case, it's been a long time since I played rangers, but I certainly had that sense of... One of them was near, was at the top and two were at the bottom, which meant that as powerful as they are, I could sort of, with lamb in hand, I, which I had by that point, I could probably survive at least one, one half of the activation. And that made, uh, I think, all the difference as well. Yeah, I think uh, my rangers came out a little farther than they should have, trying to be greedy and pick up extra points. And you got off a couple of really good Jabba order hits in the last half of the game. I was not playing a points scum. I was actually playing a command card list I really could have refined a little bit further if I hadn't designed it sort of just by looking at cards going, oh yeah. So there was a, there was a few surprises in it. But one of the things about it was I didn't actually have price in their heads. I didn't have worth every credit. I, I wasn't actually running a points scum list, which meant I did do a lot of Jabba hits uh, in all of my games. They were always painful choices because I, I, I'm not the kind of player who can do the math and, and quickly figure out this is going to be absolutely worth it. I, I think our match came down to an extremely close on, on points. In fact, every match I had today, uh, that day was uh, hard fought and kind of a bit of a brain melter. So that, that was a, it was a really, really good match and a really close one. At the very end, you actually tabled me, right? So I had to deal six damage to Onar with a Ranger with Assassinate in hand, but I only managed five. And then you order hit to kill that Ranger and then your Onar rushed all the way across the map and you had initiative coming and you killed off my last last stranger and yeah. that was to 40. The pain train went, around, went across the way, yeah. I, I know that it's really hard to crash on top of the rangers to make them not able to get that reroll, but I think that Onar is a good is a good person to do that if, if you can get somebody right, right up in the ranger face so that they can not be as viable. But yeah, it, it worked out. This is usually the time in the story where I'm telling my friends that's when I used all my luck up and I didn't have the rest of the game. But my next match was against Luke, which who was playing double weekways on posters. Really good match, really close match, but it came down to Iggy not being able to kill and celebrate Gideon. Again, another, what we call in the theater world, a long cross. Iggy got all the way into the blue deployment zone, had an attack which just wasn't enough to kill Gideon, which was, I thought, game-defining. Funnily enough, as happened in my first Nationals game against Luke, it was a very close game, and I was doing my best poker face because I'd looked at the... I'd read the runes and looked at it and thought about what I had in my hand, what he had in his hand. It was great, really good thinky play, but he'd won. There was actually no way that if he played smart about everything I had in my hand, I could actually put the points on the table. And then he opened the wrong door. 
which is basically exactly like him going after the wrong person with Bosk at the end of the uh, first nationals. So once again, luck was with me. It, it came down to points. There was It was looking like he was going to shoot over to 42 and I was going to be at 40 at the end of the game. So again, really fun, really crunchy and close. And I think we decided, and let's let anybody in the podcast tell us otherwise, that if you overshoot by 42 and the other person gets to 40, simultaneously the 42 is the win. I think that's always been like poorly explained to the rules, but that was more or less what was agreed. Yeah, sounds reasonable to me. <laughs> I, th- I think that's right. So I, I managed to get away with something on, on that one. So Luke's list actually was double weekways with what? Jabba, 3PO, Gideon, Greedo? Onar, Gideon, 3PO. I'm trying to think if there was Greedo on there. Yeah, so I, I actually remember talking to Luke, and he was he was talking about how he usually plays Vinto, as we all. Well, he's great with Vinto. Yeah, yeah Vinto is kind of his go-to. But apparently, there's this guy Kenny, whom we all know and love, who has convinced Luke to play Greedo. The nice thing about those Rodians, whether it be Vinto, Greedo, or the hired guns, is they will hugely disappoint you with when they roll the worst they can, or, or if you've caught yourself hoping on a Greedo at shot, which I, I think it's against you, David. I sort of was, was banking on some slightly longer range than you should really feel sure about with Greedo. I've, I've loved him. He helped me win my first national. Greedo was, you know, my big point of pride. I, I, I'm, I'm not alone in this, but I absolutely love the figure. I love him more than Vinto. But uh, there have certainly been times when I've been like, ooh, one more point, I could have had a much more viable unit in this game. Yeah, I think in, in one of my other games that day, a, a Vinto with focus and draw took my Onar from full health to zero. Nasty. But my, my Vinto doesn't do that. <laughs> In my personal opinion, he's, he's better than Greedo. He just, he's, his utility is almost endless. He's beautifully designed for smart play, uh, but, but also a bit, you know, mathy players, because you can count where you're going to get all those ping shots. You can very quickly find all sorts of unexpected holes and kills. And in fact, I'm playing campaign against Ruth at the moment, and she happens to have Tress, who's throwing things for one damage, Vinto, who's pinging one damage, and Della, who's throwing things for one damage. So if you're playing the Imperial player, that's a, that's a lot of campaign units that could just eat all that free damage and uh, be really struggling. So yeah, it was, a, it was reminding me how nice that is to just be like, yep, that's going to happen no matter what. Yeah. All right. Alistair, question for you. Going back to match one on fluctuations, what was your strategy going into the match on that map? Well, as I said, I think that I needed to use the Spire. Unlike Blitz, you don't really get a chance to see where your opponent's going to want to go. But because I wanted to send Iggy away on a mission, I think I may have had Lamb early enough in my hand to say that I can use the weak ways a little bit more conservatively and put out some bait. I think in, the, in this case, it was sort of Greedo or the Jawa or something in, in, in sort of the wrong place. And then, as I said, I mean, it may not have been what David was worried about, but I sort of thought that limiting the activation count and the extra points from Jabba, which I could do with Blaze early on, was probably what I was going for. It's also probably a little bit of an allergic reaction to Lothal anymore, that it's not quite that I want to have it be over with really quickly. I just wanted to get right across the map. Uh, I wanted to close, close up the game so I could press my advantage as quickly as possible. That said, I mean, people people who play Iggy really well for sniping, it's really strong, but I, I felt that it was smarter to sort of make a big move early. And what about for your second match when it's on back alleys, which is a much smaller map, there's a lot more little nooks. What was your strategy going into that one, especially knowing it's the posters yes. mission? Well, I think there that with Luke on the uh, blue side, he's got that, you know, covered terminal where he was loading up his weak ways around 3PO's, just making a really tight box. In that case, what I did was, in fact, one of the things, it was my strategy all day that worked out rather well was 
to appreciate that I didn't have the strongest command deck and I wanted to slow the game down as best I could. So with the exception of sort of running Blazin and letting him go, in the first match, I sort of put Iggy behind the door uh, under the red deployment zone just so that if the time came to be able to open the door, he could get across the map in seven and get one shot on somebody on the terminal. And I think because of, again, knowing the initiative swing was possible, a lot of my strategy just was based on Iggy being protected until he was faster than you thought a problem in your deployment zone. So for my first two missions, Iggy getting there was crucial to success. Got it. Tom, tell us about your list. Okay, so I've been working on this list for a little while uh, with my sparring partner, uh, Ollie Jewhurst, who's been on your podcast, I believe, talking about Chewbacca. And the only list came out of kind of, I hesitate to call it analysis, but some thought about kind of ways to build lists. So I, I worked on the principle of I'm going to pick an idea for the list and try and maximize that as much as possible and see if that works. So this one was based on looking at Vader, his health pool and defense, obviously arguably the best in the game, and saying, okay, well, how do I make that work as hard as possible and make it as difficult for my opponent to deal with that as possible? So the list is Vader, Tero, Onar, Thrawn and an Imperial Officer. So that's five activations. And then Doubt, Extra Armor, Ruled by Fear, Temporary Alliance, Unshakable, Zillow, and obviously Driven by Hatred. So it's got more upgrades than it does deployments. And it only has five. And each each of those five deployments is a single figure. So it doesn't look particularly impressive on the board. But the idea of the list is that through a combination of strain to get rid of my opponent's deck... And basically, the, the, the small group, the, the lack of figures, working to my advantage, meaning that I force my opponent to shoot Vader, who is the one person they don't want to shoot. I can basically get to a point where they've wasted everything, kind of breaking up against Vader, and I can then use indirect damage, if, if I can, with Vader's Force Choke and Tero's Flamethrower uh, and Onar's Charge, uh, Onar's Rush, to finish off figures and finishing off. And I, I've kind of basically warm them out and they haven't got anything left to kill me with and boy did that ever feel that way (laughs) all right so tom what was your match one like so first match was against dan luffman i end up playing dan at pretty much every tournament that the two of us go to a spoiler all four of my games at the regional were against ig88 oh really yeah all my games were against ig so the first one was an ig IG hunters list but no no weak ways i think alistair was the only one who had weak ways so i think there was Rido and Onar and all the stuff you'd expect, Jabba, and some focuses. And as I said, the first match was fluctuations. And my, my basic strategy is just to kind of go down towards the Spire because I kind of want my command cards. And basically, as as he approaches, I'm force choking twice around to force him to either throw cards or take extra damage, placing such that Vader is out front with Onar supporting, ready to throw in his get down ability whenever I kind of need it. Because one of the benefits of of round one is that in all likelihood I might take one shot most of the time I mean Blitz slightly throws that out of kilter but most of the time I'm only taking one shot so I'm free to exhaust Zillow I'm free to use get down and I can normally make sure that that first attack does nothing to Vader because I can just throw stuff throw stuff throw stuff throw stuff to add locks and things so that was kind of how first round went we came down met in the middle I got some force chokes off and then we just kind of ran at each other and because of the pinch points on the fluctuations map with above and below the antenna, I can basically block them with my figures and then just force choke my way to a victory. 
Nice. The one problem with that is obviously on Blitz, I don't have enough figures, but we'll talk about that one later, I suppose. Yeah, so round one was, again, same as Alistair, all of my matches were tight. But yeah, that one that one came down to a win, so that was pretty good. Amazing. So what was the kind of Blaze situation in that game? Oh, so in that game, Thrawn threw Blaze round one. Uh-huh. Oh, I've had that happen against me. So painful, so tilty. Yeah, and I think he also threw Assassinate for a strain at one point. Ooh. So once once those two are gone, I'm looking at his list thinking, that's cool, I can deal with that now. He won't, he won't get through Vader anymore. Great, and so then match two on back alleys, who are you matched up with? Uh, Pete Grindley, again, someone who I seem to end up playing every time we're both at the same tournament. <laughs> and again, as I say, he was running an IG list, standard stuff, on our... Uh, he had Vinto and Greedo and three focuses. He had 3PO, Gideon and Jabba all in the same list, which actually is a little bit scarier for me because my doubt is less good at just removing focuses because for this list, doubt is very much a defensive card. I'm using it to get rid of a focus so that you can't hit Vader as hard. Right. Yeah, and I guess you're also running the deplete doubt and tough luck. Oh, 100%. Yeah. If, if I've got that in hand, anytime my opponent rolls and gets three damage on whatever dice, that dice is gone. Because it's just, a, it's purely a defensive combo. A lot of the command deck is built around defense. What was your strategy going into the posters mission? So I know that with my list, I can hold the middle fairly well, because like I said, I'm kind of, I almost want my opponents to shoot Vader. So for that to happen, he kind of ends up in the middle anyway, which means that I can control the posters fairly well. And Tero, whilst he's a bit ungainly getting into the middle, once he's there, because he has such high movement, he can collect all of them in the middle almost. And I think also because he's a bigger figure he can block for vader as well he does and then that that kind of comes into it into the slightly later game so if say for example vader has taken a bit of a punishing you can then run Terra up and use him as a blocker block your opponent from getting the other shots he needs to finish vader off and that's kind of what happened this game i managed to get my opponent to sink 13 damage into vader before fainting him back but the whole of the rest of my lift was left untouched oh that's satisfying Yeah, it worked as I'd kind of envisaged it would. Great. All right, then coming into the final round of Swiss, Alistair and Tom face off. Alistair, would you like to talk about what map it was? Oh, well, it was Blitz, which uh, you love to see a Vader coming at you, although you don't really quite know what to expect from a Tarot coming at you on Blitz, but I was certainly soon to learn. At that point, you know, I'd I'd actually seen an Iggy and then followed by a scumless. So I was perhaps babe in arms, not really ex- knowing what to expect from a Imperial player that had loaded up so much extra defense. I'm surprised the game ended up as close as it did, given how it sort of started and my education about how defensive this list was. So from my perspective, we sort of eyeballed each other around the spire. I saw that Vader was going to be the problem, as exactly Tom sort of suggested. I thought that, it, that I could handle Onar and Taro because most people have handled Onar and Tero before many times. Vader was the thing that I thought I needed to, I felt pressurized to make sure Iggy got his value before Vader was able to get him. I also sort of knew that he was also running in Shakeable, so, you know, falling right into Tom's trap as well, I also was very mindful of wanting to avoid the uh, parting blow, which meant that I kind of crowded some sacrificial figures around the Spire to prevent counting up Vader, Vader plus uh, Force Rush, How am I going to stop him from running over and just sort of being able to wipe me all out at the end of the round? Actually, what that did was, as I had all these ranged attacks, was that he just popped Taro at the bottom of the spire. And I gave myself one route to sort of get around and shoot shoot his his figures. So it it did sort of slow me down a bit. I mean, I I actually didn't miss Sabine for one minute, but that's certainly an area where a a mobile figure, like some jet troopers, would be very useful. Right. 
Can I ask you a question? There is this kind of strategy when coming up against Vader, there's two camps. One camp is thinking, I leave Vader alone because I'm going to shoot at him a lot and I'm not going to quite get him and I'm going to sink too many resources and he's going to run away. Or the other camp thinking, I'm going to go in very aggressively, try to take Vader out early because that's the queen piece and then the rest of the list can't cope once he's gone. Where do you kind of fall against Vader? I played a lot of Vader. In fact, Vader got me my last national, got me to, to high up in um, Europeans. And what I know about Vader is that if someone takes an, an upsetting chunk off Vader, even if you're playing a Tom strategy early, it gets very uncomfortable because you get that feeling of crap, I've got Vader here and he's just taken seven damage. I haven't got my value. I have found that, at least with me, has caused me to lose focus or panic with him a little bit or, or stop playing the game I want because I've played games where he's suddenly disappeared and I've been really disappointed and then won. Um, I've also played games where that last seven health on Vader is just ungettable because you forget that you know the opponent has actually invested a lot of their cards, their focus, their efforts, their alpha strike, and they're not going to get that again. So I tend to, even against good players, like to put an, enough damage on Vader to make him somebody i can start thinking about getting but when that attack mm -hmm. sort of fails you might you, you want to sort of get out of that strategy really quickly so i think as i did with you tom i think i tried a few slightly longer shots on vader you know i think you put, put three or four damage onto him yes but this was before i you know heard a name of a card i haven't heard played in quite some time when emergency aids dropped and then all of the, what i just described to you jess all of that work this plan normally works because you put a little damage on Vader and they actually have no way to move Vader in the other direction. Turns out when they do, he's a hell of a useful gas tank that you can refill. Tom, when you were setting up for this match, what was your strategy going in? Run at him. Full aggression. Yeah, full aggression, all the way. I mean, one of the benefits of only having five activations is that I can f most of the time force my opponent to make choices before I have to make any. Yes. So my opponent has to decide what they're going to commit down to the Spire in this case early. And once I've seen that, I can see, okay, well, it's worth my time going down there or it's not. And in this case, I think Jabba went down there, didn't he? Jabba ran all the way down. I'm more than capable of killing Jabba, so I will commit to the bottom and join you down at the Spire. And then it's just a case of, as most players do, starting with my least least important unit and working my way back up to Vader, who goes last. I wanted to play Vader so badly, but unfortunately against an Imperial player, even as good as one as Tommy, the, the odds of seeing the bottom of their deck are, uh, well, good luck uh, surviving long enough to actually have the bully really count, which was a shame. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Did you end up bullying Vader? Didn't get, I didn't get a bully off in either game, but it was it was tantalizingly close in, in, our, in our final as well. But no, the bully never uh, got off. I was glad to know it was a threat. It is quite worrying once you get up close. All right, so then, Tom, walk us through what were your aggressive plays, what targets did you pick out first, and how did that go? Once I'd set up kind of my little, almost like a box around my terminal, I kind of then have to make a decision based on, am I just going to sit and eat the first few attacks, or do I press the advantage? Because the one benefit of Blitz against a focus list is that they don't get a chance to do that. So normally what I do turn one is just let my opponent run through their activations until I have to do one. Right. But on Blitz, it's not such a good idea because then they get that opportunity to focus which they wouldn't have otherwise had so just use it to move everything forward making sure to keep vader within two spaces of onar another thing that can be quite nice is trying to get my opponent to go for onar because he's easy mm -hmm. he's easy to kill but he takes up a lot of attacks if you know what i mean he's not blocking a whole lot like vader is but he does have that big pool of health how are we talking about the heroism and bravery of your officer in this mission <laughs> well that comes later talk about every unit but the officer who i believe a little bit like you may disagree like 
David disagrees about Jabba, but I think the officer is the linchpin of your whole organization. You think? When I didn't kill him, I lost. And when I killed him, well... Spoiler alert! That is true. <laughs> yeah, he, he did. He does make a big difference. I, I ran a version of this list previously, which was just four activations, and it was much more geared towards force users, which worked okay, but that officer does make a big difference just to be able to hold a terminal and to give a little bit of extra movement when you really, really need it. People say it's Zillow. I, I still believe the officer has been the 3PO of the Empire for since the start of the game. He's always been, always MVP, whether he's one, two or more. I, 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 a lot of time for the officer. Yeah, it, it has made a huge difference. It, it does makes it easier in every way, really. And because because he's such a soft activation, it doesn't really count against you as an activation when I was trying to keep the activations limited. Right. So then, what's the climax of this match? Alistair, what was kind of, for you, in your mind, the tipping point? Oh, well, I, I think uh, I'd like to say it was an incredible survival of the officer when I was sort of changed my tactics. But the truth is, that is right after the, the climax. The climax is... The healing on Vader. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the the what I just described in terms of saying, okay, I'm gonna let the game develop, put a little, put some points in, see how I can work around it, see if I is Vader gonna be killable this game? Am I gonna change my plan? And then when Vader sort of recovers that health and he's sort of all that work you've done has gone back up and he's getting he's getting more tokens and you're losing cards to Thrawn, you think, okay, well I've actually started down the wrong road. I now need to turn back and go the other way. So. I went after Thrawn, managed to get him, and I had the choice between a very near-death Onar and the officer. And I figured, twice in a row, I figured, actually, killing the officer will give me some more chance and to, to survive this. But the officer, as the officer can do, managed to survive, and that was probably it. But I think I've got to give credit to the idea that I just had never seen Vader's health start going back up, because people don't commit to those cards. And it was, again, if that had been final... That would have been Thomas Prime. I got the chance to to be ready for that exact problem in the next match. Uh-huh. It is amazing. It, which, which again, it, it's not to say that the list only lived on the trick. Not that at all. Uh, actually, at the end of the match, I was really convinced that there wasn't enough you know, math in my list to get through a list that was committed to surviving. I, I thought just simple numbers were going to have him win the day in the event. I'll come to that. But yeah, I think the turning point, Tom, was definitely emergency aid. And sorry, am I, am I forgetting another card that helps Vader get some health back? There isn't. There's a second chance as well, but I'm not sure whether I got the opportunity to play it that game. Actually, no, we didn't see that in either game. So it must have just been that, that three emergency points of emergency aid, and then probably just the tokens I'd stripped off being put right back down. Yeah, it's, it's the problem. The benefit of emergency aid is it's basically the opposite of assassinate. So as long as you survive the assassinate shot, you can then basically get rid of the assassinate with emergency aid. And you've net saved a point if you've lost an action. Yeah. That, that's the thing I think is extra impressive about you using the Guardian for that is that, I mean, if I, I have liked your list enough to be thinking about it since, and, you know, Guardian's... Riot Troopers are Guardians. Uh, you've only got the one in Onar. When you lost him, you've lost the ability to get the powered up version of Emergency A. No, it's leaders as well, and everybody in my list is a leader. Oh, I see, yes. So everyone in the list can use it. Forgot that, yeah. I used to, I used to use emergency aid way back when in, on the um, wing guards. Oh, dear. Back when that was the new hotness. Yeah. There was a time. Yeah, so every, everyone in the list can use emergency aid. Everyone can help Vader out. Great. So, Tom, you won this match, and you were feeling pretty confident at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, it, I don't think that Ollie and I had really practiced much against IG-88. And having them beaten it three times in a row, I was feeling pretty good. I, as a Vader, incidentally, had run up against a lot of IG-88s and lost. I thought, I don't know if, if uh, what I would say now, but I'd sort of, a non-defensive Vader, I'd seen it really collapse against 
IG88 because if you got close to him and did that great Vader swing and didn't kill him, he could chew through Vader really quickly. But uh, that was a nice, pleasant surprise to me to see Vader really holding his own. Then going into the finals, Tom, tell us about what the map was. The final map was weapons on Tarkin, which to be fair, I was looking at and thinking, yep, this should be this should be easy enough because of the way the list is set up and where the, where the weapons drop at the beginning of the map. I can have Tero pick one up and shoot the same round, which is a really nice thing to be able to have. Also, depending on which deployment zone I get, I can also have someone go and pick up a weapon and get back to the hidey hole in the treehouse if that's that's the side of the map I ended up on, which Alistair did give me. I think Alistair got you got initiative right, and then and then picked the other side. Yeah, I was feeling good going in. It, you know, it was just a case of keep playing it as I've been playing it, and hopefully it'll it'll work out. Great. So, Alistair, what was your thought process going into this? Ah, uh, well, there's a lot of fear. Uh, there was a lot of. Uh... Uh, sense of not knowing the math, as, as I said, I, I there can come a stage in certain games that some people are better at me than doing, where they just they look at the map and go, you know what, it's not there. The points aren't on the board, the numbers aren't in the dice. Like this can't be one. And I, without being the kind of person who can do that math, I looked at it and went, okay, so now I see what he's trying to do. I I'm going to be so reliant on my card draw that I can't do what I've done for the previous games and really try to make a decisive early action. That's in Tom's favor. I have to hang back as long as possible. Try in a way to draw down to zero which you know would make Tom thrilled because he's going to get a lot of strain off but if I haven't given him enough things to hit in the meantime yes he'd get some more powerful strain and some effects but it would be worth it except that you know because it was Tarkin and because we can be hidden either in the cubby hole or just cleverly on the other side there wasn't going to be a chance to get Thrawn which meant I was going to eat a bunch of cards so my strategy was to constantly make Tom think I'm about to open the door and then not open the door. Mmm, clever. But uh, on that map, you can actually get more damage potential by grabbing weapons, which should help a little bit with punching through the defense, right? Well, I think so, but I think actually just just like, you know, Hunger Games, which I have not, not read but watched the movie, uh, I think if I had run out for the weapons, Tom, I've got one on the lamb, which may save a, a weak way one. Tom has Taro, who can get there. Vader, who will have help to get there. Thrawn hits pretty hard uh, for what he is and then there's owner tom i don't know what you think if i'd gone for those weapons you probably would have been absolutely thrilled yeah pretty happy as soon as you expose yourself i'm kind of in the driving seat yeah force choke is just such a ridiculous ability basically as soon as you come out if i'm force choking you twice around i'm happy exactly so i wanted to i wanted to make tom think that i was going to which meant he was and, and who knows he was probably the right call either way but you were progressing towards my door idea briefly to not ever open the top door and just let tom have to get to me with a bunch of weapons but it was going to depend on that incredible hunter alpha strike which i was ultimately able to pull off but involved a lot of very odd for me fainting where i ran onar down to the terminal behind the locked door i ran iggy down and then i ran them all back up i sort of literally tried to juke tom out of his shoes by going one way and then flipping the other. I don't think because of the way the Tarkin map works, you can get your opponent to really misplace because you didn't end up over committing one way or the other. But the most important thing was when the door opened, I timed it with initiative cards and powers and power-ups so that I was going to you know, at least go down swinging, which meant hitting him with everything I got and limiting the amount of time you had to either get second chance or emergency aid on. So was it basically quite cagey until that door opened and then it did it turn into a bloodbath? Well, Tom very kindly decided I needed to be lulled into a false sense of security and gave me a little bit of a present, which uh, for which I, I, I still thank you, Tom, which is I moved Greedo down 
to, again, try to cause Tom to take the bait and move in the wrong direction. He doesn't have a ton of long range. So Greedo, uh, who'd run all the way down towards weapons, was in the hangar with the uh, elevator. And I can't remember who hit him, Tom, but somebody hit him really well. Or maybe you choked him twice. Maybe choked him twice. Because I think Greedo made his run, ended up in the middle. Round one, I got a choke on him. And then uh, his end of round was a choke as well. And you decided to eat both of those as damage. So you got up to six. So again, Vader activating first in his in Tom's turn and choking Greedo to death. Greedo wouldn't even have got a big shot off of, but that was potentially a worthwhile temptation for Tom because a Vader who's already gone was something I was happy with. And Vader had absolutely nothing really else exciting to do. I can't remember who you moved with or what you committed to elsewise, but Greedo got a chance to run around the corner and kill that incredible officer. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, who was sitting on the terminal? A little bit lonely, if I if I do say so. Was that an offensive on the lamb? In that he got choked and ran up and shot the officer? Or what Actually, happened? the Greedo there with six health was was able to get around the corner with five moves. With five movement, he just got around the corner, yeah. That was just an activation, which was a, a simple trade. Vader got the shot. The officer didn't get the shot back because uh, it was long enough range. And uh, as you know, David, in our previous game, Greedo had just failed at that range. But green, green, plus one against a white die with no reroll. Yeah, I can't do the odds, but I think it's, it, I, I, let, let's call it 50-50, but I managed uh, to to push it through, and that probably seemed like a relatively minor focus fail on Tom's part. I mean, I, I don't remember you falling out of your chair going, oh, I've lost it there. It felt like it was like, whoops, that was clearly a mistake, but maybe not going to be devastating. Probably defined the, the rest of the game. Yeah, I think the lack of card draw, I think by the end of the game, I would have drawn two extra cards, which... I think one of them would have been tough luck. I think it hurt me. It hurt me bad. The officer, as they say. It's, uh, if the Imperials knew, yeah, it's the, it's the little guy. But yeah, it was, uh, it was... That said, there's no way to describe this game without saying that a bunch of things needed to go really my way. So Thrawn was unkillable, which means he got to pull three cards. They happened to not be big hitter or defensive cards. Yeah, I think they were all zero pointers. Yeah, and I... And I, and I Disappointing for me. I did some real max rolling, which, which again, having played Hondo, having played Onar on both sides, you get middling rolls with them and they're painful. You see what the max roll is with Hondo or Onar, and you just go, God, that is just a whale of an amount of damage going through for six points you spent. Yeah. It sounds like, a, I hope it's not real, uh, you know, Sour Grapes way of saying it, this is a hard game for me to win. I'm very proud of being clever and patient, but clever and patient would not have won me without some tremendous wrist action. And, uh, I forgot my dice that day, so they were Tom's dice that were traded. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> so, Tom, hearing Alistair's perspective on his positioning and his fainting, what was it from your side of the table? No one wants to be like, oh, it was all luck. It wasn't all luck. But as Alistair said, Thrawn didn't throw anything particularly meaningful, which was disappointing. My command card draw, I didn't pull. I think I pulled one of my defensive cards, and the rest of it was kind of my other tweaky stuff, which meant that when Alistair did eventually come for me, Vader wasn't able to put up the fight that I would hope he would. I am curious. The, the, we talked about this, the Thrawn thing, and it may have been the right move anyway, but when it was either not going your way or right from the start, if you're pulling zeros off the top of my deck and you know threes are what I need to win, twos and threes, have you ever with Thrawn just dropped that zero back on top of my deck and if you were drawing poorly got rid of your own card i think the thrawn players it's, it's a it's a bold move but it's lovely that thrawn gives you that option to say oh that's kind of a crappy card so i'll leave it on your deck where it belongs as you say it's great to have the option the problem is is that because the secondary mechanic of this list like kind of primary is force you to shoot vader keep vader alive as long as humanly possible the secondary mechanic is strain and so for me to have a good reason not to mill you another card to get you to the bottom of your deck it has to be a really good kind of swing in my favor 
to make that choice. Do you know, I honestly think that you might have missed how strong your position was in that case, because actually, I think you could have afforded to say, you know what, the secondary mechanic is strained, but the first mechanic is working so well. I might have in your shoes, if I was a different person and much smarter, put zeros back on top of my deck because you said, great, now I know he's got stimulants, which he's going to need to spend an action on, as opposed to not knowing that the card I draw, drew was, um, you know, Blaze or not. And I think that as a general point about Thrawn and Blaze, uh, Agent Blaze back in the day, the knowledge advantage is always the subtle effect that ends up being massive at the highest levels of play. And picking up a card like Wild Attack off Thrawn and saying, okay, cool, I'm just going to put that back down for you. And now I know you have Wild Attack. Or, oh, there's your Jabba Draw, there's Wild Attack gone. Um, because uh, as you reminded me, I don't see what the card is. So if you look at Wild Attack and put it back on my deck and then choke me with Vader, I think you've put land there, you know. Well, I, I, I would assume that if I put a card back on top of your deck, it's probably not a card you want. Oh, no, I respect you too much for that. I would assume you were playing mind games with me. <laughs> but I, I think it must depend so much on how quickly you expect them to draw their deck, right? Because if you expect them to deck themselves out and collect all their resources by, say, end of round two, start of round three, then not milling one of their cards just gives them an extra card. And giving them an extra wild attack that they might not have had to play during the game is is big too. This is a really big reason why I have decided to not put Thrawn into my Vader list because I don't have that mental capacity to maths it, to see the matrix. And it freaks me out making that decision. So I love Thrawn. I love when other people put him in their lists. I have made the choice to not play with him for that reason. It's one of the few surprises left in the games for a really experienced players like all of us, which is that there's an, a little used effect that is really fun because nine times out of 10, 19 times out of 20, it's not the right call for, for pretty obvious reasons. But I think that we all have moments in games where you really impress yourself by going, oh, hang on, here I've got Vader and he's standing next to somebody he can kill, but actually moving Vader eight in that direction and claiming that point wins me the game. Like just realizing the unintuitive move is the good move. And I think that the excitement about pulling the blaze or the lamb off the other player is so tempting that how many times have you stopped in the game and said, actually, if I stopped and thought for a moment, I would have realized that I could even put Blaze back down on your deck because I was going to kill Blaze. It's sort of me saying Thrawn rewards patient considered play. Sometimes the obvious choice is the right one, but not always. Right. And I find that probably one of the few things that really lingers as excitement in terms of creativity in the game, the longer you play it. So Alistair, what was the deciding moment in this match for you that you were like, oh, I've won the final? I think it was not having Blaze. Blaze was my very, very last card. But I think uh, decisively Tom made decisions expecting the Blaze was coming. And I was able at the very end of the game to say, I will win initiative, draw Blaze. I'd seen a negation come out, maybe take. Mm -hmm. So I, I actually knew my bottom card was Blaze. Tom didn't. And while it was... You know, a ton of luck. It's going to mention that every time. That actually choosing not to draw it up and try to do Blaze one turn earlier could have actually gone wrong. I actually decided to say the next round is the round I want Blaze. I'm going to leave it down there. Just be cagey. Just be cagey. And then, as as we've always said in this game, as soon as the initiative bid is no longer in question, it's secure. Uh, your math changes entirely. So I just said, I don't think there's nothing Tom can do to make me want to strain that card off because I know I'll have Blaze next turn. And Iggy was healthy enough to be pretty guaranteed of a couple of shots there, which was what I needed to win. 
So what what was actually the final score of your game? Both of you were playing very combat-oriented lists, right? So not much victory point manipulation. Yeah. And and of course, uh, Tom had grabbed weapons. Though I, I would say, Tom, unless I'm wrong, the bottom two points were almost never controlled until the end of the game. And I think for some reason or other, maybe because you grabbed a weapon and then started going down, nobody really controlled the yellow top token for most of the game. So I think it was... No. It was later in the game that Tom got any points at all. Remember, Greedo didn't even die. So there was the Jawa still alive. Greedo was still alive. There's a lot of... Greedo did die in the end. Yeah, I eventually read him. What kind of, what kind of game is it if Greedo doesn't die? <laughs> it was close to tabling because I think your last one standing was Thrawn or, or Taro? No, I had Captain Taro with full health. I think actually it's one of those ones where I thought I was doing okay because I'd controlled one of the points for a couple of rounds and built up points that you weren't building up because you weren't controlling any of them. So I think I'd got four to zero, I think, by the time we started shooting each other. But then, as you say, Vader didn't survive as long as he should have done. And feels like the case every game is that everything was one away from dying. And it got to a point where you just had so many more, so much more figures than I had on the board that I couldn't control enough terminals to stop you from getting over the 40 before Taro killed enough stuff to win. And I think Taro with the uh, Luke roll, sometimes Taro will roll those three dice and you'll be amazing. And sometimes it'll be three surges. I can't, I don't think the, the luck was only with me. I also got some pretty noodly shots from you. Yeah, he wasn't doing well. I mean, he, he even had a weapon. I think he had a green weapon. So he was doing all right. But uh, yeah, the the dice weren't with me. Ah, uh, the dice gods giveth and the dice gods taketh away. <laughs> I actually think that if there was, there was a point in it, admittedly ignoring all of the previous mistakes that I think I probably made, where I thought, do you know what? I, I still think I could do this and it was it was the end of the last round i think we went into one more round but the end of that round before we decided to call it quits you'd got rid of everything except tarot but tarot was still on full health and iggy was almost dead ono was almost dead and then you had just support figures left the jawa jabba um and 3po i think and jabba couldn't get to a token to hold it sadly he does face those dotted red lines yeah (laughs) yeah he couldn't get past those red lines and so i thought if i could just kill both Iggy and Onar in one activation. And bearing in mind, they were both standing right next to Tero. So I've got an attack and I've got a flamethrower. Can I do it? No, Onar survives with one health, no matter what I do. Oh, hmm. Where's that Where's that grenadier? Well, mm, I'm just not... <laughs> There's a lot of points to sink into a card for one character who, in a lot of games, dies pretty, pretty decisively. Yeah, and it's an offensive card rather than something that goes with everything else you've got. Yeah, exactly. Well, congratulations, Alistair. Thank you. Getting your seat, right? Absolutely. And also, you know, taking Greedo to a very competitive tournament where I play the best in the game. And because they uh, make some focus fails, I win, which is basically my general strategy. Secret to success is just wait till smarter people than you make mistakes. (laughs) Give yourself the time. So it was a great, great uh, event and a sign also. I think that even in a game that's winding down, that there's tons of creativity and fun to be found and, and viability to be found in interesting lists. So that was really nice to see. Oh, and Tom, good luck at Sheffield. Oh, yeah. Coming coming second has spurned me to make that arduous journey to the deep dark north. You're going to have to look out for my elite ISBs because they are coming out of the box for one last, one last kick at the can in Sheffield. <laughs> All right. So, Tom, kind of closing thoughts. How did you think your list performed overall? Uh, I mean, in general, it performed exactly how I'd hoped it would. And I think the three game, the three starting games, the three wins kind of vaguely proved that. Yeah. 
But at the end of the day, you can't win without the dice. Even Vader's dice don't last forever if you're up against a real barrage. And so, I don't know, I'm, I'm planning on having a go at running it again at Sheffield, so I'm not completely disillusioned with the idea. How do you feel about doing against revised Spectre? which doesn't draw very much and has a lot of pierce. Yes, that is an interesting one for me. I mean, it, it still kind of works. Biggest problem that I have with it is is Ezra, because he's got enough health and the ability to recover it that my indirect damage won't get through him very quickly. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And he's got enough pierce to start whittling, you know, doing two attacks around. He'll, he will get through Vader. Like, I, I'm, I'm going very much in the camp of... Spectre is a hard matchup for it. That's definitely true. I suppose you just do as much as you can. I know, I know they don't rely on their cards, but I assume having not really played them very much since since they changed the rules on them, but that they are maybe slightly more reliant on their cards than they were previously. I don't know. They don't have a mechanic for drawing extra ones, really. So I suppose they can't be too reliant. But yeah, a difficult matchup. Play your best. May the odds forever be in your favor. <laughs> Alistair. Closing thoughts, what did you think about your list and how it performed and uh, any tweaks you might make? Well, I think that it was, of all the fun lists I've been creating, I have been ignoring the fact that you can't put all your eggs in one basket. I think even you know Tom's list is the right basket to put your eggs in if you do want to really commit. So having a lot of hitters, a lot of people who are viable, which is what the scum and hunters are just so good for. They just have so many powerful affordable strikers, which really helped. I think that it was nice to sort of revisit some figures I hadn't really used as much anymore, like uh, Iggy or uh, Weakways, and discover they were just as good as I'd left them. But honestly, I think I was playing such good and well-practiced players that I needed a sort of robust and playable list. I'm glad to have won one last prime with it. You don't think you'll see me on a table with something like that again. As I said, it's elite ISBs coming out next time, and we're going to see how far I can get. All right. Well, thank you both for coming on. Always pleasure. (laughs) We'll see you at the next regional in Sheffield. See you there.